Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Heavenly Father, we once again come before you. We've come to receive instructions. We ask the Lord for revelation. Wisdom and understanding. With the mind, Holy Spirit of God, that you cause the flow of the Spirit to grant light unto my listeners and cause every one of us to grow in the light of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Praise God. Alright, so we continue with our, our study on Lazarus and the rich man, and this is going to be part number five of this series. We know that this is a very controversial subject. Uh, this afternoon, somebody tried to reach out to me and said, I can't find the things you are saying in this passage. I can't find the five brothers. The Bible didn't say that, so why do we need to bother about what the Bible didn't say? <laughs> so, okay, fine. Why would the Bible put it there if it didn't say something about it? The fact that it is mentioned shows that it indicates something. You only need to find out what exactly he's saying. Jesus wouldn't be so callous to saying mention for his five brothers, and it doesn't have any meaning. As to what he wanted to say about it. Or he didn't want you to say anything about it. You know the fact remains that. This like we said in the beginning is a parable. And parables are mysteries. Like Jesus would tell the disciples. Why teach these people in parables? So for the kingdom world is a mystery to those outside. But for you it is given to know the mystery. And so I teach them in parables. Now I told you before parables confuse people the more. Who are not initiated because the word mystery means that which is revealed to an initiate. So it takes a greater light to understand some of the things that Jesus speaks about when he uses parable to talk about them. Are you with me? Yeah, praise the Lord. So we know, like we said from the very beginning, this is a parable. And uh, we said it before from chapter 5 to 16 of the book of Luke, we have uh, many parables. Can anybody volunteer? Five parables, right? Yeah. And so we're talking about the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, the just steward, and Lazarus and the rich man. Five parables are there. And all of this thing has to be decoded before you can understand what exactly God is trying to say. Amen? And we know expressly that uh, all of these parables, two of them, the just steward and I mean, uh, Lazarus and the rich man, they were targeted at the, the Pharisees. And if we know that Pharisees, essentially, they are from the house of Judah. And that's something that people get confused about. They say, well, like when I said, this parable is speaking about the house of Judah and God personally in Christ caused the fig tree not to produce anymore, which represent the house of Judah, the law, the priesthood. And the person said, no, Judah produces a king. But we know that Judah is the same brother with Levi, isn't it? And where did Levi come from? On the same family. Praise God. That's why there were five brothers we said that before. Genesis 35 verse 22 in particular, right? Reveals the five brothers to us. So, if people can get it, fine. It's just because they can get it and they are a little bit too lazy to study not because it's not there in the word of God. It's right there. Amen. Alright, so let's go down again and start reading. Uh, Luke 16 verse 19. Luke 16 verse 19. And there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fire sumptuously every day. And the Bible said there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sars. And desiring to be fair with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Whatever the dust came and licked his sores. I've explained a little bit of all of those things, right? Remember that. 
Okay. So we got to the point where we talk about the rich man died and Lazarus also died. And we mentioned that last week as well. And we made to understand that Lazarus was carried to the bosom of Abraham, but the rich man was buried. You remember that? Yes. And I tried to make you understand something. To die doesn't mean you are died, you died physically. So therefore, it wasn't talking about death, natural death, where people have to be buried in the cemetery. Right? Why the Bible actually could refer to death to that which has to do with the cemetery, like Lazarus died and was raised. When the Bible talks about death most time, it's not talking about being buried in the cemetery. For instance, God told Abraham, I mean, Adam, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Did he eat the tree? And so what happened to him? He died. Isn't it? Adam and Eve died when they ate of the tree. But they didn't die physically in terms of being buried. But what happened? They died to the life of God and resurrected to the life of evil. So when you die, it means you cease from existing in that realm. So for instance, Adam and Eve, they cease existing in the life of God, but they opened up to a life of a negative spirit. So they became alive. And the Bible tells you that you are dead in who? In Christ. But you are not buried. Dead in Christ means your life is not being controlled by Christ. And so Colossians 3 will tell you, if you be dead, seek those things which are born where Christ is at the right hand of God. You are dead. What is that supposed to mean? You are dead to the life of the old man and alive unto righteousness in who? In Christ. So when we say the rich man died, that is not to say he was buried. What it means is the life that he was living before, he died to it. And resurrected to another life, if you will. Because when you die to one life, you must open up to the other life. You died in Christ, that means you died in Adam, as it were. You resurrected to the life of God in Christ. When Adam and Eve died, like I said before, they died to the life of God and get resurrected to the life of the power of the knowledge of good and evil. Are we together? So we try to establish the fact that when the rich man died, all of his life that he lived sumptuously ended. The glory that the law has, the power that they have, as Pharisees, as religious people, ended. It ceased. And I told you last time we studied that this dead came about instantly when Jesus died and resurrected. A new life came up. Amen? So, the rich man, which has to do with the laws and all of those priesthood, everything ended when Jesus died and everybody, because in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. So the rich man and the Lazarus, which is the Gentiles, they all died in Christ and resurrected to another life. But what we're saying now is the great Gentiles that were beggars. They ended up become people that are now the bosom of Abraham, which is the basic thing we want to do with tonight. They resurrected to a new life in the glory of the power of the Lord. As Jesus rose from the grave. But for the Jews who were living sumptuously, they died to that life and resurrected to a bigger life. So there was an exchange of position. Are we together? Good. So, what we really have tonight is the issue of Abraham's bosom. Now, traditionally, the idea of Abraham's bosom means it's a figurative expression that speaks of heaven. And I think this is... Uh, Speaks of heaven and the place for those who have died in God were righteous people. That's what it means, Abraham's bosom. I mean, there's a traditional way of teaching it. Uh, most evangelicals, for instance, uh, of churches today, they've graphically described how uh, the rich man died and went to hell, whereas the beggar died and went to heaven. Uh, have you heard that before? Right. So they liken Abraham's bosom to what? To heaven. Now, that will bring some questions. Because essentially, there is nowhere in the Bible 
where the scripture says Abraham's bosom is heaven. There is no scripture like that. This is the only place they pick to illustrate that Abraham's bosom is heaven. But that is not true. Now, if the popular preachers like we know them have to say Abraham's bosom is heaven, then there's a need for Islam to ask a few questions. For instance, before Abraham was born, we have the likes of Abel, of Seth, of Enoch, of Noah. Amen? They all died. Where were they? Because then Abraham had not come into the scene. If Abraham's bosom is heaven, so where are those people before Abraham came into the picture? I don't think I follow what I'm saying. Right, we have Noah, we have all of those people. Long time come, died, and you know, before Abraham came into the picture. So if Abraham bosom means heaven, so where did those people go to? I don't know if you're getting this. So that tells you that, I mean, these all, I wouldn't call it deception, I wouldn't call it lie, but ignorance of God's word. That is the best they could offer. Praise the living God. Abraham bosom simply means a place of favor and honor. It has nothing to do with the geographical location. Nothing to do with that. The word bosom is used 41 times in the Bible and speaks of the custom of Christ days which speaks of the place of honor in a guest who sit nearest the host in a reclining position. Praise the Lord. It always means the same thing all through the scripture when you talk about bosom. It means the area of the chest or the breast of the human being. He's not talking of under. Yeah, yeah, you understand that. Because when you say bosom, you see, the common thinking has to do with it's like something under. It's not under. It's by the side, nearest to a man's heart. I mentioned this last week, I'm sure. When you say John is a bosom friend of James, or you say he is my bosom friend, what you're trying to say is we are very close. Am I right? You follow what I'm saying now? Okay. That's what you are saying. We are very close. It's my closest friend. Another one is, is my bosom friend. So to be therefore in the bosom of Abraham doesn't. For instance, let's look at a few scriptures before we take a little bit of illustration on that. John 30 verse 23. John 30, 23. When you read this scripture, what do you find there? We're talking about John was leading on the bosom of who? Of Jesus. Did you get that? John was leaning on the bosom of Jesus. That's why you find that. So being a bosom doesn't mean he's under the person. Francis, come. Two of, three of you come. Three of you just come. Come, come. Go through there. Come here. Sit there. No, you can sit there. Okay, whatever. You sit here. Oh, you see there? That's all right. Now, you see this? Okay, can you see clearly? Can you see me? All right, if you see me the way it is now. This is close to me. Just a little bit closer. All right. Sorry. Now, have you find out about the the program you're talking about? You find out about the program. Fine. That's all right. Okay. We'll discuss that later. Now you see, he is nearest to me. 
There are things I can discuss with him that he may not hear, he may not hear. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So, Pastor Francis is nearest to me, is my bosom. He is in my bosom. He can ask me questions that almost everybody here will not be able to ask me. There are things I can reveal to him that those over there, you know, remember, especially what the picture of Jesus and the, yeah, the 12 disciples, long table, you understand that? Very long table, the other people are there. And now, like what we read in John 13, you find that John was closest to Jesus. We can ask questions that other people may not be able to know or ask. Did you get the picture? That is what it means by bosom. Bosom is not under. Bosom is not a location. Bosom is a relationship. Bosom is a position of an individual that is closest to somebody else. Is it making sense to you? So when we say Lazarus was the bosom of Abraham, that means Lazarus was nearest to Abraham. Now, there is something I'm going to make you understand. You find that the Jews always believe that Abraham is their father. So when Jesus said, Lazarus is the bosom of the father, they understood what Jesus was saying by implication. He is saying, you will not have the privilege that this Lazarus is going to have. That is to say, you are going to be displaced. You are claiming it's a right, but a moment is coming that you are going to be displaced. The Lazarus you neglecting is going to replace you in the position that you are supposed to be. Is it making sense to you? All right. Let's give up. Thank you so much. All right, so that is what the bosom means. Is it clear to you now? Right, so bosom is not something, you know, up in the sky or one location. No, 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 no. It's a position of relationship. Is it okay? Praise God. So, we find that uh, John was leaning the bosom of, of Jesus. Now you got the meaning now. When you read that John leaned at the bosom of Jesus, you got the meaning clearly now. Is that okay? Right. He was near Jesus, close to his heart. He can ask any question. He can have a relationship with Jesus that other disciples were not having. Mind you, the table they were sitting was supposed to be a very long, large table that take 12 people plus him, you know, uh, 13 people at the head of the table. So, if John is sitting very close to Jesus, the other ones are there. There are questions that John can possibly ask Jesus. There are things that Jesus can possibly tell John that the other people cannot hear. Is that okay? Praise God. All right. Okay, so again, let's look at John chapter 1 verse 18. Now you understand this better now. John chapter 1 verse 18. No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is where? In the bosom of the father. He had declared him, right? So we find here that Christ is the bosom of the father. He possesses the closest intimacy with who? With the father. And because he was in the bosom of the father, he can hear God. He can reveal the mind of God. Are you getting that? Because he was closest to the father, he knew the mind of God. So he can reveal the mind of God. That's why I said he declared him. Declared him by implication. He made him known because he was nearest to the father. Hallelujah. Now, this is the point. The Jews understood that phrase. Abraham bosom to mean three things. Actually, they refer to it as three things. First one is Abraham bosom. Yes, normal. Number two, Abraham bosom to them means under the glory, under the throne of glory. Under the throne of glory. Right? Number three, Abraham bosom to them means the garden of Eden. Or a paradise state of being. That is to say, Abraham bosom is a place of blissfulness. It's a place of peace. It's a place of joy. It's a place of rejoicing. Are you getting that? 
Okay. So now, you remember the scriptures that talks about uh, uh, Abraham when he talks about let me see if I can pick it up for you now. In the book of Matthew chapter 8 for instance, let's see uh, if I can get that verse 11 to 12. I'll come back again to this, but let me just quickly see if I can pick this up. But Matthew chapter 8 uh, I'm trying to see if we can find it from my system here. Okay, first of all, we're going to read this again, but let's just take it um, for instance, Matthew chapter 21. Let's look at verse uh, 43. You can see something there. Or the 8. 21-43 tells you something about the children of Israel. We're going to read that. But let's just go to chapter 8, verse 11. I think that one will just give us what we're looking for before we continue from there. Matthew 8, 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Where? In the kingdom of heaven. Then look at verse 12. And the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into where? Out of darkness. There shall be wailing agnation of what? Of cheat. Did he say that? Now Jesus was speaking to the disciples, I mean to the, the Pharisees and whatever you want to call them, who were always insulting him, abusing him, disparaging him. Now listen to, closely to what he said there from that passage. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out, but men shall come from the east, from the west, from the north, and they shall sit down Together with Abraham, where? In the kingdom of heaven. Sitting down, basically, has to do with feasting. It has to do with eating. It has to do with dining. That's why what we have is called the Last Supper. Are you getting this now? So now, we already know that a Gentile speaks of, I mean, Lazarus speaks of the Gentile nations. Is that okay? So when he said, men shall come from the, from the not from the South and they shall sit down. What do you think he's talking about? Gentiles are going to come in to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You is claiming to be the sons, you be cast out. Is it making sense to you now? Praise the living God. So now, Lazarus was feasting in the kingdom with the father Abraham. The honor the Jews had because of Abraham has shifted to the Gentiles. That's just what he's saying. The glory that they seemingly were experiencing because they were Jews and they were Abraham's children have now been shifted to which people? To the Gentiles. So that's what I'm talking about. Those who come from the east, from the west, from the, from the south. And they shall sit down together with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, the position you are claiming is going to be taken away from you and giving to other people. So the joy and the privilege they had of being Jews was taken away and the Gentiles now inherited those things. Are you getting this? Praise the living God. So what is that supposed to mean? The Jews died to the blissful life that they were having, which has to do with the promises that God made through Abraham and the dogs, which has to do with the Gentiles, we never have these promises received now in a joyful state, a blissful state through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. We were not part of the covenant of promise. We were not part of that promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in terms of the covenant we have to do with the law. You understand that? The Jews enjoyed that. The Jews had that privilege. But right from the time of the cross, no. The position changed. We now came in, help me Jesus, we now came in to begin to experience that glory that they had before. Because Jesus came, we're going to read it, Jesus came to confirm the promises that was made to the, to the, to the Jews. You understand that? Praise the living God. So like I said, three dimensions about which the Jews understand this issue of Abraham's bosom. 
So then that death, when he said the Jews died or the rich man died, it was simply a change of condition. Is it making sense? Good. Lazarus died, was carried. The rich man died, was buried. And I still want to emphasize, it doesn't matter what anybody wants to believe that, but I remember last week we spoke about it and I gave you scriptures, even as far as Jeremiah chapter 8 is concerned. The fig tree was the house of Judah. We know that from scripture. Hallelujah. And those who take time to study diligently will be able to understand that the fig tree speaks of the house of Judah. And God was simply saying, all of this religious thing that Judah carries on is coming to an end. That's what it means by causing the fig tree. We know that. Praise the living God. So, once the victory was caused, a new life came into being right from the time of the dead burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when the victory was caused, the rich man did what? Died. All of the glory that they had, all of the pride that they carried on with, because if it were privileged people, it ended. They died. And the died was buried. But Lazarus was carried. Don't forget that. One was buried. And when you bury something, you put it out of existence. Obscure. When you bury something, you make it obscure. You can't see it anymore. You, can, you understand that? It's covered up. Praise God. So, the rich man actually died. Amen? Let's look at some of the promises, for instance, that God made to Abraham. Because when you put the Abraham bosom, that means they're going to enjoy the promises that God made to Abraham. So, when the Jews were supposed to be in Abraham bosom, they were supposed to be enjoying the glory, the promises God made to Abraham. So, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Hallelujah. Genesis 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and cause him that cause thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Amen? Again, Genesis 22, verse 17, and 18. Genesis 22, 17. Then in blessing I will bless thee, and the multiplying I will multiply the seed of the size of heaven. And on the sand which is upon the seashore. And the seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in the seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. These are promises that God made unto who? Unto Abraham. On and on. Down to even Isaac and Jacob. Remember that? Okay, go with me to Revelate, I mean Romans chapter uh, 15 verse number 8. Romans 15 verse number 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to do what? Confirm the promises made Unto the fathers. You do get that? You know, I was surprised when that individual, I suppose him to be a great minister of God, you know. But what he was saying now, Jesus was, was not, what, what did he use? He said, Jesus came from Judah and have none to do with the law. <laughs> I just laughed. I told him, sir, you better go back and read. I just respect you, so I wouldn't use words that but your language betrayed your age. I suppose you to have been able to, I mean, when I saw your profile, I thought you were somebody that had something upstairs. But to say Jesus was not, why you say was not, uh, it wasn't keeping the law or whatever, that means he was not born a Jew. And the Bible tells us Galatians chapter 4, I mean, if you remember that, he was born under the law. And he said, he came to fulfill the law. And you say, Jesus was not born under the law. What Bible are you reading? 
that the Lord did not come from Judah. Judah produced only kings. Where was Levi? He's from the same family. That's why the five brethren. Hallelujah. So here we see Jesus came to confirm what? The promises made to the fathers. The word confirm actually means to make strong, to make firm, or to make sure. Jesus came for the express purpose of making sure or guaranteeing the fulfillment of all the promises made to the fathers. That is the inheritance promised by God through the fathers. He came to make them sure. Now that tells you the implication of that as well. If he came to establish those covenants and they rejected them, how are you expecting those who reject him to get into the covenant? If he came to fulfill the promises, to confirm them, to make sure those promises come to pass, by implication, look at what he's saying there. Through you, child, the nation of the earth be blessed. Is that okay? So he came so that the nation of the earth might be blessed according to the promises that was made unto who? Unto Abraham. Now, if you reject him, who came to confirm the promises? How are you expecting to experience the promises? Because the Jews rejected him. I don't even get in this. Yeah. Therefore, for as many, help me, Jesus, for as many as now believed in him, they come into the promises or the inheritance of those promises. That's why I have to be by faith. Through Jesus. Now, get it. It ought to be by faith through Jesus because he's the one that came to confirm the promises. The promises can be there, but you have to go through the one that came to confirm the promises. Is that making sense to you? So if you reject him who came to confirm the promises, then of course you can get into the promises. You can get into the inheritance of those promises. That's why the Jews missed it. Hallelujah. You see, I was speaking on Sunday in the fellowship over there. Do you know why they call Jesus the advocate? He said, if any man say we have an advocate, the Lord Jesus. Have you read that? First John. Why is he called an advocate? Who is an advocate? An advocate is a lawyer that stands for you. For instance, if your father writes the will and is late and the will has to be interpreted, an advocate has to interpret the will. Isn't it? Good. And then the advocate will say, well, according to what this man wrote down, here is the will. This portion belongs to James. This portion belongs to Janet. This one belongs to Agnes. You understand that? The advocate is the one that reads the will in the court before the judge. Most often, you don't have understanding of what is in the will. Children will not know what's in the will until it is interpreted in court. Is anybody getting this? Jesus came to interpret the will so that we can know what belongs to us. Oh, glory. Somebody needs to understand that. Are you following what I'm saying here? Good. That's why it's called the advocate. So, always it stands for you because you don't even know what you have in the will. So, by reason of the Spirit of Christ, understanding begins to come to you when you're reading the Bible. You begin to see what God has for you. He interprets the will of God and tells you, this what belongs to you. That's what belongs to you. That is your own. That's your portion. You understand that? This is what God wrote down and I came to confirm the promises. Praise God. Are we following this? Yeah, so when you read in the Bible, just understand something. Remember, the word testament means a will. So you have the old will and the new will. Whatever you call testament. Is that okay? Hey, are you here with me? Right. So when you read it, you're finding out the will. You're not just reading the Bible. You're looking for the will. That's why, like I was trying to say there, you don't read the Bible. I mean, see somebody. You lack understanding. That's why you can't understand. That's why you can't even come into your place of inheritance. Because you're looking and you're reading and you're trying to find fault. You're trying to say, oh yeah, this is how the sister behave. Yeah, that's how the brother behave. You're missing out because you are supposed to read to find out what God wrote and said about you. Hallelujah. You don't find people's fault in the wheel. <laughs> I read the Bible to find out what God is saying about me. What are my rights or my privileges? And you are forced down by prayers. 
Once you know that you are enforcing that by prayer, what does that mean? It's just like the prodigal son. You go to the father and say, this is what you wrote concerning me. I find it in will. I need to have it. And God will say you have it. You pray according to his will. Oh glory. You hear it us. Isn't it? If you pray according to his will. So if he can find the will. What's written about you. Take it to God. You get it. That is faith. Oh glory. Is anybody following this? Praise God. So. Like we said before. Who are the fathers? He said he came to confirm. The promises. Of the fathers. That may go into the inheritance. Of that which was promised to the fathers. Through thee shall the nation of the earth be blessed. He that calls you shall be caused. What if I think God spoke to Abraham. Was a promise for you and I. But somebody have to come to confirm the promises. So who exactly are the fathers? Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. Mm. Glory to God. Whew. Is it making sense to you? <laughs> We're talking about the bosom of Abraham. And people have been thinking, oh well, when you go to heaven. Bosom of Abraham, somewhere deep down the earth. You know, somewhere hidden, somewhere. No. Just relationship. And right now we are in the bosom of Abraham. Just like Jesus was the bosom of the father. And because we are in the bosom of Abraham, and the people say Abraham as a father, Abraham is like God unto us. If we are in his bosom, we should get his secrets. He should tell us some things. Praise God. You know, two days ago, the Lord was just speaking to me. Yesterday night anyway, not this night, the other night. And uh, I was lying down the meeting I'm about to hold in that's going to take place in Texas. And the Lord began to speak to me. And he was talking to me about the issue of dominion, kingdom dominion, same dimension. But there's a dimension he brought forth. I was listening when he was instructing me. The first time he gave to me was the book of 4 Samuel chapter 7. And then 4 Samuel chapter 10. That there is something very peculiar about these two passages. One of them was all in the days of Samuel, the Philistines never come to, to Israel. And then when you go to chapter 10, he says, as long as Samuel was standing in this position that God has ordained him for, the Philistines could not come to Israel. That's dominion. If you can find your place and stay in your place, hallelujah, even the enemies will not have access to your life. That's dominion. Because you see, Jesus was going to rule all enemies and bring them on their feet, isn't it? Good. And that's demonstrated by Samuel as long as he was standing in the office, the position that God has called him into enemies, the greatest enemy of Israel could not come unto Israel. If you can find your place, if you can find your will, glory to God. If you can know exactly who you are and you stand there, remain in your position. You protect not only your family, but your life. And not just that, and it was sharing with me, you go back to the book of Isaiah chapter 45 and begin to speak to Cyrus. Say, you don't know me, but I'm going to cause the treasures of darkness to come into your hand. Not because you know me, but because I gave you an assignment. So money will come that you will to execute my assignment. He said, for I am raising this and do it for the sake of my people, Israel. Praise God, somebody. So if, you, if you've come to that place of being close to the bosom of the Father, there are things we'll begin to talk to you about. There are things we'll begin to reveal to you. Praise God, somebody. So, the guy sent me the flyer and I told him, this is what God told me. He said, okay, we're going to change it. They have to change the flyer. He wanted something else. But what he was saying have no bearing with what God wants for his people. And I said, man, this is what the Lord showed me. And it's okay, sir, we're going to change it. So, they got to change the flyer. You've got to walk in this dimension of being close to the breast, the bosom of who? Of the Father. It gives you secrets. It gives you understanding. 
He shows you things before they happen. That's the greatest privilege you can have. So Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. Jesus came to confirm that. He said, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is that he that giveth the power to do what? To get wet. That he may establish his covenant which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. Praise God somebody. Ooh, hallelujah. Mm. Who are the fathers? Acts chapter 3 verse 13. Oh glory. The God of Abraham Acts 3 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers have glorified his son Jesus Christ. You get that? The God of our fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. All the promises he made to them. Jesus came to confirm. And in confirming that, the soul was glorified. Glory to God. So, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Remember the story, that? Okay. Acts chapter 7 verse 32. One more time. Acts 7 verse 32. Oh Jesus, I just love this. Amen. What do you find there? I'm the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and what? The God of Jacob. Is that okay? All right. So you will notice from reading all of these passages that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the fathers that God spoke about. So when the rich man, the parable, addressed Abraham, he called him Father, Father Abraham. I mean, if you remember that, indicating that. He contended himself his son. In other words, he counted himself to be son of Abraham. Because his father Abraham. And that will tell you that the person speaking here was a Jew. And people can still see this. The language of this man betrayed him as to who he is. In fact, he claimed some ship in relation to Abraham. And who again would this be other than the Jewish people? But believers, Christians can't even see this thing. Oh, glory. So here we find that this rich man said, he's his son. He belongs to Abraham. But something has to happen. When he said, Father Abraham, it means he's the son of Abraham. But who is truly a son of Abraham today? Galatians 3, verse 14. Galatians 3, verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through who? Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promises of the Spirit through what? Through faith. Glory to God. Did you get this? Read it again. The blessing of Abraham might come on who? On the Gentiles. Through who? Jesus Christ. He came to confirm. Remember that. That we might receive what? The promise of the Spirit through what? Through faith. So here we find that the Spirit was given to the father Abraham. I mean the land or the promises given to father Abraham was actually spiritual things. Because in Acts chapter 7, we made to understand that he never stepped his foot on any of the land that God promised him. I mean, if you remember that. He wasn't talking about Canaan. The promise was not Canaan. Canaan was not the promised land that God promised Abraham. Praise the living God. That's what the Bible says. He never stepped his foot on the land that God promised him. It has to do with that which must be experienced in who? In Christ. That's why there are spiritual promises. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we're talking about the greatness of the promises that God made to Abraham that we the Gentiles have come in. Who were supposed to be dogs? Who were supposed to be by the gate of the rich man? The situation changed. Who became the people now at the bosom of who? Of the Father. Experiencing the glory that God promised Abraham. Glory to God. Are we still here? Okay. So, ah, glory, glory, glory. Let's just move on a little bit 
Thank you. But I'm trying to define for you tonight just one word. Bosom of who? Of Abraham. And the things that follows being on the bosom of Abraham. The things that you can experience. The joy that comes to you. We are in the bosom of Abraham. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so Acts chapter 13 verse 39. And the Bible says, and Acts 13, 39, and by him all that believe are justified from all things for which you could not be justified by the Lord of Moses. Let's take this last scripture, which I think will be of help to us. Galatians 3, 27. Remember, the rich man said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, I'm not teaching baptism tonight. But permit me to say this. Baptism has nothing to do in this context being dipped in the river. Nothing to do with that. Amen. Come on, are you with me? You know, we have the baptism of John. The baptism of John was repent. But the baptism of Jesus was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And essentially what it means is you believing into the doctrine of that individual. Amen. That's what baptism means. Go back home and read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 3. How that amplified translation. The Jews were baptized into Moses. I mean, if you remember that. They were baptized into who? Into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It was in the Pindaman River. And that explained to you that it brought them into obligation to the law. Hallelujah. Okay. So Galatians 3 verse 28 now. For those who are baptized into Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. This is, there's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Glory. And as according to the promise, that is to say, now you can get the promises that God made to Abraham through Jesus Christ. So when the rich man said, Father Abraham, that position have changed. They were trying to claim right, but by reason of what Jesus have done, the position have changed. We now, Jews, Gentiles, Greek, Barbarians, whatever name you want to name them. We all have access to those promises right now because of who? Of Jesus Christ. Your faith in Christ brings you to that exclusive right, if you will, of those promises that God made to Abraham. We are not Abraham's seed. We are not just Abraham's seed. He said, we are heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. So the Jews died because the Lord died. No power, no dominion. The rich man was dead and buried and cast down to where? To hell. Praise God. Did you get that? And so, in Matthew 21, 43, the children of this kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. For men shall come from the east, from the west, from the north. Sit down together with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven. The feast, the position changed. Hallelujah. Those who were nobody became somebody. Those who were supposed to be outcasts became heirs to the throne. Every promise that God made to the fathers, now we inherit. Oh, glory. If God keep Abraham or kept him, if God bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God will do the same for you because you are their seeds. Hallelujah. Remember what he said. When you become worthy, that means you are supposed to be worthy. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. Remember that. When you become worthy, so that you don't begin to say, you got all this word by your might. But just remember that God gave you power to gather this word so that it will establish the covenant which you made with the fathers. That means if Abraham's seed, God intend us to be wealthy. He intend us to be prosperous. He intend us to live in health. He intend us to be strong. He intend us. Hallelujah. These are the promises that he made available. And now we are his seed. I will cause those that cause you. God told Abraham. That means because he's his seed. It will cause those that will cause you. You don't understand what I'm saying? Why do you think Isaac could prosper in the land of Gerah? You quote that scripture. He reaped a hundredfold. Why? Remember, at the stage two, they wanted to drive him away from there. But the Bible said, you stay here when he got to the second place. Stay here and plant. The Bible said, read the hundredfold. Why do you think he read the hundredfold? Because the covenant that was made to Abraham landed on Isaac and it landed on Jacob. So that no matter how trickish Jacob was, the covenant could still walk in the house of Laban. That is why he prospered. Are you getting that? So whatever made these three men prosperous is bound to make you prosperous. You can change that. It's our true faith in who? In Jesus Christ. Praise the living God. I see you becoming glorious. I see you becoming glorious. I see you growing tall. I see you growing tall. In whatever thing you are doing, I see you growing tall. In the name of Jesus, the covenant will work for you. And when men that cause you shall be caused, you shall see it, you shall know it. That means no man can cause you and go free. It's part of the covenant. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.